Good day, everyone. Welcome to the show. Paul George here in studio with the world famous Deacon Adam Conk. Yo, yo, yo. What's going on, my man? Hey, it's uh, another hurricane. It's just the two of us. Just the two of us. That's it. In studio. Thanks for listening in today on the radio, KLFT Radio, or on the podcast, wherever you are, wherever you may be. Feel free to be a part of the show. Share the show. Thanks for being a part of it. Yeah, we sort of can't get away from hurricane season, which, you know, if you live in Louisiana or on the Gulf Coast, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know what, July through September, really, you know, it's, it's a longer season than that. But like, it seems to be like the worst, you know, August, September, mm-hmm. just can't get away from storms. So we're like, we're actually sitting in the studio as, you know, tropical storm think it's nicholas nicholas yeah it's like over us raining schools are shut down we're committed we are committed rain sleet or shine (laughs) people know that about us we are committed to this it's kind of like during the pandemic when like everything was shut down like you had to like peek out your window Mm -hmm. and you were quarantined you and i would sneak out of the house your house my house like we didn't weren't living in the same house right we come in the studio, we'd sneak in here, and we did a morning show every morning. Yeah, and I think that was technically illegal, mm-hmm. but it was a little gray area at the time because essential services, right? Yeah, so, we were bringing hope to the nations. What's more essential than the gospel? I don't know. Yeah. No, no, there wasn't like a, it was a gray area, so we weren't mm-hmm. like breaking the law and right. the rules, but we were, you know, doing what we needed to do to, we, we're committed. That's the whole point. That's here. right. We're in the middle of a tropical storm. And we're here. Here we are. So thanks for being a part of the show. Got a lot's going on. Shoot, in the world, uh, in in life, I mean, so much happening. You know, great show last week. It's good to get back on track. So, yeah. So I was wondering, I don't know about this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Nope. Do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Yeah, because you didn't have one last week. I did. Whoa. Yeah. I keep doing that. Um, That's amazing. I do have a heavy scene, actually. So in Michigan, okay. a U.S. district judge, mm-hmm. Judge Paul Maloney, okay. ruled that... Baloney Maloney. <laughs> Baloney Maloney. Uh, it, kind, it was kind of a baloney decision. He ruled <laughs> that parents mm-hmm. owed their son $30,000. Well, $30,441. This is true. This yes. Is a, this ruled, is in the United States. Yeah, so the son is David Working, age Did, 43. He oh, the son, his, he's he's middle-aged man, sued his parents. Sued his parents okay. for $30,000 plus 14000 in legal fees oh, because... Good. good for that lawyer. His parents discovered his pornography collection, mm-hmm. which consisted of magazines, DVDs, and um, digital versions. Okay. Apparently, he was living at home still. That's good. And so they they destroyed all of it. Good for them. They destroyed the entire collection at which the son uh, sued. Mm. And then the judge said, you're right. They owe you that money. So the parents now owe him $45,000 to compensate for their heroic act of destroying their son's pornography. That is amazing. So this judge, I hope he sleeps well at night. Um, Baloney Maloney. (laughs) That's crazy. Now, I think he's probably just, I don't really even know, but probably just following the letter of the law. You know, these, you know, older parents, you know, did the right thing. This is crazy. Here, Here's the deal. If you're an older parent and you have an adult kid living with you, and I'm talking about like adult, adult kid. 
-hmm. you may want to like ask them to move out, set some boundaries and the life that they want to live, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, they need to live on their own, not under your roof. So these parents, you know, discovered, you know, pornography, which is, you know, I mean, what would you, you know, how, how would you like sum this up? Like it's a, you know, just a, just awful. Yeah, awful. Like in their own home, got rid of it and did the right thing. What they really should have done is just kick the son out of the house well, apparently you know, earlier happened, in life. Well, apparently what happened was they did kick him out of the house oh. at age 43. He moved away. And when they were going through his stuff, that's when they found it. And so in an email, um, when the son first found out what happened and was mad about it, the dad said, frankly, David, I did you a big favor getting rid of all this stuff. And you know, as a parent, I would say 45000 totally worth it to make my point to my kid. 43-year-old son, you know, you need to grow up, get out on your own, and stop looking at this stuff. Yeah, but what the, ju what the judge is doing is that he's basically telling the son that what you were doing is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so now the parents have to fork up money. The son's just going to go out and buy more. And it was in their own house. His his behavior is not going to change, right? Right. Like, and so that's crazy. Yeah. But you know, you know what's even crazier is like, like that's like the least of the things going on in our country and <laughs> <In> our <laughs> world, like the, the things that are happening. But I will say this: in a subject of this, a, a lot of times, you and I, um, in different streams and in different ways, you know, minister or reach out or talk to young adults, right? Anyone, you know, and you consider a young adult, you know, 18, 19 to say 30, you know, as a young adult, mm -hmm. you know, I got to say, once you get married and have kids, you know, it's like, you're no longer a young adult. Like you're an adult, like, you know, but the sort of this young adult age, and I love young adults. I love that season of life where people are learning how to be an adult, where they're growing into adulthood, where they're learning to make adult decisions where they're learning to grow spiritually, emotionally, you know, mentally, all those things, you know, I love college age group and then post-college, like getting a job and like learning life lessons, doing all those things that are important, right? But in a lot of ways, and this is, this is not all young adults, but in a lot of ways, young adulthood is delayed and expanded into the season of life where like, I don't have to grow up. I don't have to make adult decisions. You know, my parents are going to continue to give me money. They're going to continue to let me live at home. Um, I don't, I can just continue to like, you know, do whatever I want. I don't have accountability. I can go to work, spend my money where I want. I can play video games all night. There's no consequences to any of my decisions or my time. And it's sort of this refusal to grow up into adulthood and it's delaying young adults or this person's growth into being fully who who they could be or should be or even desire to be. Yeah. In some cases, not just delaying, but hindering. So, for example, we develop habits during that time period. So let's say my young adult time period of that kind of never Neverland experience of being Peter Pan that never has to grow up, right? Like right. if that goes on for a decade, I'll develop lots of habits that, okay, well, now I'm ready to grow up. I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to settle down. Um, and look, I'm not trying to downplay those who don't get married by a certain age. It's not what we're talking about because there's lots of great folks who are fully adult and single um, and who want to get married and who are 
waiting and praying for God to send the right person. But we're talking about those folks that are intentionally staying in youth and not taking on the responsibility of adulthood. And you develop certain habits, and if you got a decade of those habits, when you do get married, when you do finally take the plunge and get out of your parents' house, you have all those terrible habits of self-centeredness and things like that to to block um, your new life. Absolutely. You know, so this isn't everyone, but I see it a lot. I have a lot of these conversations with folks, and, you know, a lot of young adults don't want to pursue a vocation or marriage because they don't want to give up the freedoms that they have. This life of just, I can do whatever I want, when I want, how I want to do it, you know? And I get to live in the basement and not pay bills, you know, or whatever. Or, you know, live in a house full of guys and, you know, we all split the cost and, like, we're just bachelors for life. And then one day they wake up and you're like, I'd love to get married and have a family. And yet I'm socially delayed, you know, like who, you know, where, where do I even start, you know? And I will throw back some of this because, you know, I'm a parent, I, you know, we have now in our house more adult kids than we do have younger kids. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, wow. We have three 18 and up, and then we have two younger than 18. So wow, look at that. You consider 18, you know, sort of the beginning of, you know, this young adulthood, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, I'm not certainly not a perfect parent. And, and, but the whole goal of parenting is like to eventually get your kid out of the house on their own living as an adult, you know, and, and that's, and that's the life that you want them to have. Like, and it's hard, like it's hard to, to do that. But I would say like a lot of the delay on this young adult generation has to be put back on parents, mm -hmm. this generation of parents who are like, yeah, I'll just keep paying your bills or, yeah, you can keep living here or yeah, like I'll bail you out every time or you're not going to have any consequences to the fact that you overspend or you don't know how to manage your time or you don't know how to fix your car or you don't know where to get a haircut. Like parents have got to cut the cord and begin to push their kids out to make their own decisions, even fail at times so that they can learn to be an adult. Like we don't learn to be an adult by other people doing things for us. Right. We learn to be an adult by doing things, failing at it, forgetting to pay bills, to learning how to call the place and saying, turn my lights back on. It was a mistake. You know, all those things are part of growing in adulthood and, and parents delay that. I see mm -hmm. it all the time. Parents delaying their kids being adults. Well, and this is very dangerous for the faith because if we can't look at the world with adult eyes, then we also can't look at our faith with adult eyes either. Yep. And the longer we delay that moment where that adult person has to look Jesus in the face and say, am I going to follow you in an adult way or not? The longer that's delayed, then they become spiritually stunted. Yes. You know, I mean, imagine right. if St. Therese who died at 24 wasn't ready to become an adult at the age of 15 when she actually entered the convent. You know, she felt the Lord calling her to this very adult thing, which was to become a religious sister. I mean, that's not a childhood thing. That is an adult decision. That's an adult life. It's difficult. It's challenging. But she knew the Lord was calling her to that, and she embarked on that at 15 years old. And what if she delayed that kind of decision until after what we would call young adulthood? 24, she would still be you know, in that young adult phase, and we wouldn't think anything of it. She could be at home, um, you know, 
doing whatever, but she was able to look Jesus in the face and say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. Like, I'll follow you into the convent. I'll follow you into adulthood, into an adult life. And now she's affected hundreds of millions of people by her faith and her witness. And so we delay this and could even get in the way of this if we don't let our kids grow up and become adults and face Jesus as adults. Mainly because we don't want them to fail spiritually, emotionally, physically. We we want to protect them so much that we don't want them to experience maybe some of the, the hardships that we face. So I think parents' intentions are good, but at the same time, without failure, there is no growth. Without learning and trying, there is no growth, right? Mm. And I remember getting the best parenting advice from a person that wasn't trying to give me parenting advice. And we had our first child, and um, I had her in a stroller, and this guy looked at me. He's like, how many kids? I said, well, you know, we have one kid, you know, and I was just a young, I didn't know anything about anything, being a dad, just learning, right? And uh, he looks at me, he goes, good luck raising a teenager. And I said, I, I don't think you understand. I don't have a teenager. He says, no, every decision you make for that kid now is preparing him for later. And he walked away. And I, and I remember thinking and processing that that quote that like what he said and it made so much sense to me that every decision you make from the time your kids are small as a parent is preparing for the next phase of life like the discipline you do the 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 things that you require them to do the 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 chores the consequences the actions that all those things are preparing them for the next and i know that there have been times where my kids have hated me for some of the you know, boundaries or things that, you know, I, I know, but I think they'll look back and be like, man, I'm, I'm more prepared for adulthood than what I thought I was going to be because I had to work, because I had to pay some bills, because I had, you know, to do some things on my own. My parents didn't do everything. So it's not that you just, Hey, at 18, 19, you kick them out the door and you say, good luck. It's kind of like by the time they're 18 and 19, they should know how to do certain things and we shouldn't delay that process. When you said it earlier, the, the question is, how many times can they fail at things before they're 18? Because if they never fail at anything before 18, they're not ready. No. It, the more they can fail before then and pick themselves up and learn, then the more ready and prepared they are for life at 18. Because, I mean, none of us are really prepared, right? But the one skill that gets us through it is that we know how to make mistakes, learn from them, and move on. You know, I mean, that is adulthood. That's we try a, something. That is adulthood. It didn't work. Right. We're going to adjust, and next time we're going to do it better. That is such a fundamental skill of life that our kids aren't learning if we never let them fail. Well, the best place for kids to fail is in your home. Yeah. Why? Because it's safe. Because you're going to pick them up. Because you're going to teach them, right? Mm -hmm. What happens is parents don't want their kids to fail at anything. School, you know, faith friendship, social, physical, sports, all those things. And so they they want to basically, you know, shelter them from any of that. And the reality is it does stink when your kids fail, but we suffer with our kids. We hurt with them and we help them grow through it. The best place for them to fail is in our home because it's the safest place. So when they get out in the world and they experience some hardships and some failure, they know how to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. And even so much so spiritually, right? Allowing them to like grow spiritually because the whole idea is, you know, a word you could use is faith ownership. 
mm-hmm. you know, ownership, to have ownership of your faith. What a, have ownership means that you actually own your own, purchase something, and you own it, right? So I might buy my kid a car, you know, so they can have it, you know, as a teenager, but when they become an adult, do you want to buy that car back, you know, or do you want to buy your own? Now you have ownership of your own vehicle. Well, guess what you're going to do when you have ownership? You're going to take care of it mm-hmm. more than you took care of the one that I bought for you, right? Because it's yours. Now you got to pay all the maintenance fees and all the things and everything, every time it breaks, all those, you have ownership. We want our kids to have ownership of their life, of their decisions and of their faith, right? To like, to buy their own faith in a sense of like invest and finally say, that's what I want for myself. Not because my parents made me do it or, you know, forced me. So they might have like a lull at a certain point where they're like, no, I don't, I don't like this. I don't believe in this. I don't want to do this. Right. Like kind of a little bit of rebellion. And then the more you're consistent and just kind of helping them along that they'll begin to, to have some ownership of their faith, like the saints that you were talking about to where they'll blossom spiritually. And that's the foundation that they need because when they fall in all the other areas of their life, the spiritual foundation of what's going to really be solid for them. Yeah. And they are going to question their faith in serious ways. All of us do. Much better to do it at home, you know, between the ages of 16 and 18, ideally, and let them, let it get messy. You know, they might say things that shock you because they have doubts about God or they have doubts about the Eucharist or whatever. Just let them say it, listen, and don't yell at them, right? Like, and say, okay, well, let's let's work on this together. You know, I'm, I want to help you figure this out. Like, if you this is important to you, I want to help you figure it out. Because if they don't have that questioning period till later, which is what's happening statistically, till like 20 or 22 when they're at college, they're not coming back to the faith. They're going to leave it. Right. That questioning period is going to happen. Way better to happen in your home where you can, like you said, it's safe and you can work with them on a process to think it through than when they're out in college or out on their own and, and that's where they're questioning and no one's there to help them think it through, they don't come back. 80% of the Catholics that go to Mass at age 18 don't go to Mass at 22 because we wait and let them face these questions outside of our home. Right. Yep. All right. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for being a part of the show on the podcast. Feel free to share it with others, whatever you, wherever you are, actually. Um, and thanks for listening on KLFT Radio here in Acadiana as we're like in the midst of <laughs> a tropical depression storm, lots of rain, hopefully no flooding. Lord, we just pray for no flooding. Yeah. You know, and um, whatever. All in God's hands. Louisiana it, in God's hands. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, we were, it was interesting that we were talking in the first segment about sort of this growth into adulthood and young adulthood. You know, 
passionate about the subject because I really desire and want people to grow, right? And not be stuck, you know, and there's, there's two parts at play. It's, it's the person who's, who's the kid becoming the adult has to begin to make decisions. And then it's part on the parents, you know, helping them get there and then, and then helping them move out, you know, like, I think it's very healthy, you know, like, yeah, move out. And I, and I, and I know like at times it's like, oh, I need to live at home to save money. I'm in debt or whatever. Look, there's exceptions to all the rules. I'm just saying like, we can't delay people from becoming adults. And, you know, some of that onus for me as well as a parent, you too, is like reevaluating, you know, my parenthood and what am I doing and understanding that some of the decisions I make for my kids may be hard right now, but I know down the road it's going to benefit them, right? In a loving way. And like, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a very loving way. I mean, one of the one of the best ways we can love is actually through discipline. God does that with us. Like God, you know, is, is doesn't just tata us, which is, you know, kind of a French saying, which is like he he doesn't like just baby us through life like that we experience and we talked about this last week on the show if you want to go back and listen to it this idea of desolation right there's times that the spiritual life is really really difficult because it is purging us it is it is sharpening us it is allowing us to rely on god more you know so when we come out of that we have new tools in our toolbox, a, a new recognition of God's faithfulness and love, his grace that's upon us, right? So allow, God uses those times. Jesus went in the desert. You know, he wasn't sleeping on a $3,000, you know, uh, sleep number mattress. Like he was, he was experiencing some desolation, some toughness, some, some grinding, some sharpening, like some temptation. Why? to grow right spiritually and so th that's the idea for all of us spiritually but even so as we're preparing you know our own kids for their life and their adulthood is you know helping to sharp them so that they can live the life that god's calling them to live yeah and i think too we can consider our own adult quality you know because um, that toughness and that grit you're talking about the lord wants to develop that in us more and more and more. One of the ways he expressed that is that parable where if a servant is trusted with, let's say, five talents and does a good job, then the master on their return will entrust them with five cities. In other words, like there's going to be these little challenges that God gives us that if we're faithful in them, it leads to God entrusting us with a lot of work in the vineyard a lot of grace to be given to the world through our suffering, through our labors. And so those little challenges of growing up, <clears throat> sometimes we put it off ourselves. I mean, how many times do we say, I know I should be praying more, for example, or I know I should be taking better care of myself. I know I should be um, doing whatever more. These are all challenges for us to grow up and respond to the task ahead at hand for us. And if we're faithful to it, especially our prayer life, it requires discipline and grit, and especially in desolation time. But if we're faithful to it, then the master, when he returns, in other words, when that tough time is over, when that des desolation is over, he will entrust us with much more because of our fidelity. Yep. 
Absolutely. You know, the biggest failure of these parents we were talking about in the first segment from the, the Have You Seen article, and I don't know, I'm sure they're great people, is they waited till the kid was, the guy was 43. He's not a kid <laughs> yeah. anymore. It's like, you know, certain boundaries and decisions have to be made way earlier than That's that. That's literally $1,000 a year they waited. You know what I'm saying? So, like, <laughs> you know, like, decisions that we make now, uh, particularly bad decisions, will catch up with us. They don't go away, you know, mm. and parenting decisions you know, certainly do too. And, and we have to kind of repent for those and tell our kids are sorry. But, you know, there's there's a there's a starting over. You know, what I love about all this, like in the spiritual life, is that really like Jesus with his disciples, like in in the, the time he had with them, you know, we call it a three years, right, of his ministry, is that he spent a lot of time forming them into a spiritually adult, men and women like like you know with his apostles and his disciples his followers he spent a lot of time forming them right what because he knew that he wasn't going to be around he knew that uh, they were going to have to move out of the house and live this life a very difficult life out in the world right like he he said it often i'm not going to be with you forever and they're like oh no you will and he's like no i'm really not going to be with you forever <laughs> And they didn't want to hear it. You know, it's like with our own kids. It's like, or, or with us, it's like, yeah, like you're going to have to move out one day. And you, and you think that day will never come. And you're like, oh, I got to move out. And, you know, I got to go to college or get a job or get my own place. You know, what's at the root of any time we've we ever sinned? Selfishness, right? Mm. And what is at the root of selfishness is like, I, I'm acting like a kid again. Like I'm, be, I'm being a child again, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm reverting back to like, Childhood behavior. St. Paul talks about this. He's like, I'm, I'm being childlike in like my selfishness or what I want or, you know, me, 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 you know. And that's what, you know, when I look at like my little kids is like uh, they're, they're just totally being a baby, you know, mm -hmm. a big kid. And I'm like, you know, that's me <laughs> when I refuse to grow up spiritually, emotionally, whatever the case may be, you know, and. And we all kind of do that. And then we kind of have to like wake up, you know, hey, let me get back on track here. And this is what Jesus did with the disciples. I mean, there were times where they would like literally fail spiritually. Like there would be a lesson there and Peter's cutting off an ear mm -hmm. of, of a soldier. Or they were saying, you know, Jesus, what you're, what you're saying is not true. And he would say, get behind me. Like, you, you, what are you even talking about? Like he would speak boldly. And it's interesting because of the gospel this Sunday, the the disciples are actually arguing amongst each other, you know. So Jesus is talking about not only will he leave, but he's talking about how he's going to be handed over and be killed, right? So if you can imagine like this conversation happening, they're probably like, "What is he even talking about?" You know. So they're 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 not even clued in on like the next steps. They can't fathom the next step spiritually. What's going to happen? That Jesus is going to die. And that he's going to leave them and then they're going to be abandoned, you know. And so they start arg arguing amongst themselves. Um, and it says, you know, uh, you know, so he's talking about the son of man will be handed over to men and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the son of man will rise. Now, you can imagine they're trying to process this. OK, but they did not understand uh, the saying and they were afraid to question him you know so i don't know if you've ever been that way with your parents right when you're a kid you're like i don't want to ask my parents mm -hmm. something you know like i'm either afraid they're going to say no 
or I'm afraid to tell them something, right? Because mm-hmm. of their reaction. So they're actually like afraid to like, okay, Jesus, can you explain what you just said? Because we, we don't understand. So they just like didn't do that. So they started talking amongst themselves and says, um, they came to Cavern and once inside the house, he began to ask them, you know, what are you, what are y'all arguing about along the way? So, uh, and it says they remain silent. How funny is that? So they're actually arguing amongst themselves and then Jesus calls them out. Right. And then they remain silent. They're acting like kids. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what our kids do. Like, what are you arguing about? And they all just like, don't say anything, you know, because they don't want to get in trouble. Right. They don't want to grow up that, you know, whatever the case may be. And um, they, it says they had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat them down, called the 12 and said to them. So here's the parent in the room. Right now he's Jesus, but he's he is he is their teacher, right? He is their rabbi, their mentor. He is their savior. He is there, and he he says, "Okay, everybody, come around. We're about to have a conversation." So imagine twelve adult men being like, "Oh gosh, here we go. We got to have a small group. We got to sit in circle, whatever the case may be, because Jesus is about to call us out. This is what's happening." How funny is that? Yeah, it's a funny scene. I mean, it. I think you said it right that the training the the disciples received was three years of failing before the Holy Spirit would come um, in power, and then they their ministry really begins. But it's a lot of humbling experiences. You know, they grow in humility, and here is Jesus just giving a big dose of humility because they are acting like little kids, um, and it seems really disrespectful that Jesus just said how he's going to die and be raised again. And, and then they're talking about who's the greatest. Right. And it is disrespectful, but they, I mean, ch- they changed the topic. Well, in their mind, they don't really know what he's saying. And they're assuming what he's talking about has something to do with taking back Jerusalem for the Jews, right? Like overthrowing the Romans because they're all kind of expecting him to do that. So they, they kind of think that's what he's talking about is that day, that moment when, and so it does kind of naturally lead to the idea like, James and John's mother. Um, okay, well, when that happens, how's, how are we going to set up the court? You know, like, okay, so Jesus, you'll be king. So Herod's gone. Jesus is king. W- what will I have? I guess I'll be the treasurer, maybe, or I'll be the secretary. Or no, I deserve a bigger position. So they're arguing about who's the greatest because they're, they're kind of anticipating this time of fulfillment. Right. Meaning that they would have some really big shot, important position. And so they start arguing about who should do what. And think about how childlike this is. How you know they they're they're getting into this selfish like you know what about me? How about me? This is our sin. Like this is all of us, right? And this is me, right? Uh, of like I start to when you know the root of all my sin is like I'm I'm being selfish right now. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. about me, what I want, and and that's our battle. That's what we're fighting is our flesh, right? To grow. What's funny is like if you were like in your minivan, you know, or your big 12 passenger white van on a trip, (laughs) you know, and like you're having a serious conversation with your children about faith and about the trip and where you're going. And maybe you just get finished praying a rosary on the trip or saying a prayer. And all of a sudden it's like a dog fight in the back of the van. (laughs) And you're like, what are you guys arguing about? You're like, you know, we're arguing where we're going to, who wants to go where for dinner? You know, it's like this mm-hmm. petty conversation, but they're all fighting and arguing. Oh, no, I want to go here. I want to go there. And you're just like, we just had this amazing conversation. 
and you guys are arguing about where you want to eat, right? And like fighting about it. And it's sort of like they have dwindled this down to like, what about me? Right? right. That's exactly right. what you're saying. Like, yeah. what about me? My position, where am I going to be? And, and it says this, it says, uh, um, it says they were discussing amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were saying. And it said, then he sat down, called the 12 and said to them, right? If anyone wishes, so this is the teaching, this is the calling to the carpet. This is, hey, this is another lesson in adulthood. This is another lesson in growing. Jesus could have said, I'm just going to ignore these guys. Like, let them just babble and we'll start over tomorrow. Jesus saw this as a teaching moment. And this is what's important with our own kids or our own personal formation. They're teaching moments, times of growth, times that the Lord calls us out, calls us to the carpet, wants us to learn. We don't know everything. We never will know everything. Neither will our children, right? If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all, which is rooting out all selfishness, right? Taking a child, he placed, which is interesting, we've been talking about children, taking a child, he placed it in their midst. I don't know where he found the child. I don't know if it was running <laughs> and he just grabbed it. He was like, child, come here. He's like grabbed it by the cloak and just put him right in the middle of the small group. And putting his arms around it, he said to them, whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but the one who sent me and he just basically taught them you know how to root out selfishness right there well this is one of the reasons we use the term minister in the church um which is a very catholic and interesting word so like magister means the great one so like majesty magis and that's the the Latin word for like teacher. Mm-hmm. It's like the great one, like magisterium. Magisterium, um, which is the teaching body of the church. But minister means the little ones, like many, very tiny. And it's it's bizarre that the church, Catholics, Christians, use this term to describe their leaders. This was not like something normally done before the Christian world. You know, they didn't call the emperor the minister. That would be disrespectful and blasphemous, right? Like you'd be put to death. The little one, in other words. But from teachings like this that Jesus gave us is that he is not our leader because he's great. He's our leader because he's the great one who made himself small. Um, Like Paul's letter to the Philippians he was in the form of God, but he didn't cling to that. Right. He, he was magister, but didn't cling to it, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, mm. a minister, a little one. Mm. And this is why God exalted him and gave him the name above all names. And so he's teaching them the lesson of the incarnation here. He's saying, if you're going to be my disciple, the greatest disciple is not going to be the magister. Quit arguing about who's the smartest or brightest or best with it. That's not what it's about. The greatest among you is going to be the minister, the one who lowers himself the most, becoming like the child in the midst of them. And this took many lessons to get to their minds, but they learned it because like St. Peter, um, he went from being a magister with the sword, you know, to take control of the situation. Mm -hmm to the minister on the cross himself, dying for our Lord, being made very small. 
And uh, you and I have that same adult lesson in Christianity is that we're n- the Lord doesn't need our magister. He doesn't need our greatness. He doesn't need our wit, our cleverness, our ideas. He doesn't need all that. What he needs is for us to follow him in ministry. So this idea of emptying ourselves out, making ourselves a slave of all the way he is, that's what uh, Christianity, great Christian greatness looks like. Hmm. Yeah, and this idea that he, he brings a child into play right in the midst of the teaching is, you know, a child in those days was signified as someone who was just, you know, added really nothing to society. You know, they right. didn't work. They didn't bring much value. Kind of the way that in a lot of ways, you know, we think of like the elderly, not we, but like our culture thinks about the elderly. Mm-hmm. Who cares? You know, like they, they bring nothing, you know, to, you know, they don't work. They bring no value. We can euthanize them. It's horrible, right? In their culture, you know, the Jewish culture then would look at little children and be like, ah, you don't really bring much value to to our society right now. So we just kind of ignore you. We just kind of push you aside, you know? And Jesus is saying like, you know, like as low as you would think of this child, that's how low you should go in Mm -hmm. the way that you love and the way that you serve me. Right. And they go from thinking that they're going to have these great positions, big shots, big shots (laughs) to learning this idea that the way to love, right. And, and humility, um, is is quite the difference in in the way that Jesus is teaching them, and this is a moment of great growth for them because this is where they're going to find freedom in their life as they are move out of the house, right? Mm-hmm. When when they learn how to bring the love of Christ to the world and to different cities, and to sacrifice what they want for the greater good of the kingdom of God, right? It's a tough lesson. Right, because what they want is a great position of honor. We can all learn from this. People in the church, outside of the church, people with positions in the church, people who have you know nothing is to learn and love. Now, look, this doesn't mean like if you're a parent to kind of loop back around to some of the things that we were talking about on the show. Is like, oh, I just need to let my kids walk all over me, and I need to serve them to the point where, you know, you know, I just let them do whatever they want because I'm low. You know, that's not what Jesus is saying, because Jesus is speaking truth. What what our role is as a parent is to is to lean heavy on Jesus and allow him to lead us in our role as a parent. Yeah, and the Lord did not give up his greatness by becoming small. He's still God, even though he's on the cross with his hands and feet fastened by nails, unable to move. He's God controlling the universe. And this is the beauty of Christian parenthood. That's a very new idea of parenthood, by the way. You know, Christian parents are a unique gift to the world and to their children because the idea is we imitate Jesus, that we don't lose the dignity of being parents. You can't. Like, you have to be the adult in the room. You have to be the one willing to have the hard conversation. You have to be the one willing to give the tough punishment. You can't lose that identity of being the grown-up. But at the same time... You embrace this identity of serving your child the way Christ serves us. And that is the beauty of Christian parenthood, is that it's the, it's like the incarnation itself. This union between God and man, greatness and smallness, shows up in Christian parenting. And we fail, usually, when we try to act like the big shot and forget about the service, mm. or 
try to be on their level and forget we're supposed to be the adult in the room. Like we fail when we get imbalanced about this this call to be the adult who serves. Yeah, that's a good point. I think most importantly for me is that I have to be humble enough to know that God's constantly parenting me and teaching me. Mm -hmm. And the moment that I think that I'm great enough, that I have it all together, is the moment that I follow my face. Big shot syndrome. Yeah. Big shot syndrome. Oh, I got all the answers. Oh, I know everything. You know, I know what God wants. I know the, all the teachings of the church. I, I know, you know, I'm much smarter than my own kids or other people or, <laughs> you know, you and, and you, like you were saying, get out of balance, you're going to trip and fall. But the, the grace of the Lord is constantly picking us up and teaching us. And I think if we're teachable, we're constantly growing and learning, even in our adulthood. You know, I say this even when I'm speaking to adults, because I'm speaking to myself, is that the thing that we forget, I think, as an adult, is that we're still children of God. Like, I'm still mm -hmm. a child of God. I'm God's son. And when I forget that, and I think, oh, I'm an adult now. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone, including at times I don't really need God because I, I can do my own thing. Boom, I will mm -hmm. fall flat on my face and I got, you know, broken nose and, and, <laughs> and, and two bruised eyes. Just like all the apostles in today's gospel. Well, and if we remember that, we're not only children, but so small a children, right? Like Saint, um, not Saint, but Venerable Fulton, Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Sheen, he would say that we are in the womb of Holy Mother Church being knit together for eternal life. So... Not only are we children, we're even children in the womb because our real life doesn't begin until heaven. Mm. Like that's adulthood. And that's even birth is what he's saying. That's that's human life beginning in eternity. So we're little we're little babies in the womb of Mother Church being knit together by our mother into the saints God's calling us to be. So if we ever feel like a big shot, just remember we're we're so small. We're like those babies in the womb. A mother church who can't do anything for ourselves, but God does everything. He's building us up into the saints we're called to be for all eternity. We're an unfinished product. A work in progress. A work in progress. And that is the idea of growing in sainthood is, you know, is this constant determination to grow, you know, and, and uh, even in our own brokenness and sinfulness, like to not be satisfied with you know, being a child in a sense, like not God's child, but like to grow up spiritually, like in the, and to really yearn to like grow every day and to learn from my mistakes and, and believe that the grace of God is going to continue to move in my life and to help me prepare me for heaven, right? Where I'll live in eternity in, in fullness and this deep desire in my heart and your heart and all of our hearts to be fully alive and to who we always desired to be, that's heaven. And I can't wait for that. So, all right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for listening in on KLFT Radio here in Acadiana, South Louisiana, or on the podcast. Certainly appreciate you, Deacon Adam Conk, and I in studio today. You know, it's weird because, like, studio's quiet and mm-hmm. there's no windows. So, to me, in my mind, like, the weather is great outside. Bright but, and like, sunny. <laughs> like, I'm, like, like, hating to, like, walk out after this because it's like oh, it's gonna be raining yeah e- hopefully it's not flooded we're gonna see more puddles on the road driving back like like there. if i can just stay in the studio for the next day i can just imagine it <laughs> being fine <laughs> like noah's ark like noah's ark like and then you open the door and you're like wow it's flooded <laughs> so we do pray for no flooding yes for safety of all and then honestly for the continued recovery for those really affected by hurricane i i i you know, went down to Homa um, and helped. Gretchen, my wife, went down, and we've been, you know, coordinating supplies and things, as as well as tons of different groups of people, so many different schools and churches and organizations I'm talking to here have been like, yeah, we're sending crews down. And it's pretty amazing, like, how people help and rally and donate and time, money, everything. So it's been quite beautiful, but let's keep it up. So it's people still don't have power in a lot of places. So mm-hmm. you think about like some people are going to go a month, month and a half without power. Right. Which is nuts for like our day and time. So continue to keep those folks in your prayer. Okay. Segment we haven't done in a while. Maybe six pack of questions. Question. I love how you said it. Like Yay? it was a question. Yay or nay? It was a question. question. When's the last time we did a six pack of questions? <laughs> well, it's been, Probably a month and a half. Yeah, who knows? But I'm fired up. Here we are. All right, so question number one. Um, I want to speak to the immature person in all of us. What are signs of my own immaturity, like ways I need to grow up? Um, maybe I'm a young adult. Maybe I'm an older adult, but maybe didn't grow up uh, in certain ways I need to do. So what are some kind of like red flags that I can notice in my own behavior that might say, okay, I need to really think about learning some adult skills here yeah i think one it's it's kind of evaluating like what areas of my life am i extremely selfish you know is it with my time with my money with my inability to to do certain things and i think that's an important evaluation because we all have those little things that we want to hold on to it's like two kids fighting over a toy it's like no it's mine it's mine and there are things in our life where like no it's mine i don't want to let go of it but i will say this when you recognize a certain pattern Maybe you're just really, you know, you're not good with time management, you know, something simple, but that snowballs into like being late for work, you know, being late for like meetings with someone or a friend or with family members. And you just kind of refuse to say, I'm going to get better at it. That's, that's a childlike approach. Instead of saying, you know, I'm not super good at time management, but I'm going to work on it. I'm going to talk to somebody about it. I'm going to figure out how to get better at it. I may not be great at it. So for some other people, that may come more natural. But this is an area of growth for me, and I and I want desire, and I'm going to take some steps forward to grow in that. So you take that into any area of your life. We all have certain areas that we need to grow in. And to ignore it is to be a kid because kids ignore those things. That's the nature of, of a child. It's like, ah, I'm not going to worry about you know that. You know, I made an F on that test. Who cares? Whatever. An adult says, no, I'm going to get better. I like that. 
I'm going to think about that for a while, I think. I need to look at my red flags. All right, question number two. So um, spiritually speaking, you know, Jesus uses parable of the seed and the sower and like these shallow roots, and then things come, and then the it's, the word is lost, right? So what are some ways that you found actually deepen roots spiritually? Like, in other words, grow up spiritually that are effective that maybe we don't like to do. Like maybe some of us are just immature spiritually, so we don't have a taste for those things that are harder or more difficult. But what are some couple of tips you might give to really deepen those roots and, and grow up a little bit spiritually? Yeah, I think like, you know, being uprooted really easily, particularly with storms, what, what like trees or things fall easily, the ones that aren't, don't have deep roots, right? They're, they're planted in, in maybe rocky place or like on a hill where there's like, there's no deep soil type thing. And, you know, there's, to, to sink our roots deep takes time. Like it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the strongest trees grow over hundreds of years, right? But there are hard things that we need to do to grow those roots deep. Some of it could be counseling. That's really hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe some type of healing in an area that we have, have yet to face, right? Maybe it's having a mentor or a spiritual director to challenge us to grow in areas that we need to. But it's, this, it's taking the time to find out find someone to help me with that you know maybe it's obviously you know visiting the sacraments sacraments more mass and reconciliation and growing Uh, coming up with a discipline for our prayer life to where i'm like sinking those roots deeper so it's it's really kind of being honest about you know what's going to really challenge me to grow and kind of get through this hump that's keeping me from growing like it. Question number three. So let's say there's an important relationship in our life that um, we feel there's a certain immaturity in the other person, or maybe in ourselves, and the relationship is affected. So maybe it's a spousal relationship. Maybe it's a coworker. You know, um, what are some ways we could be a good brother or sister in the Lord to kind of encourage? With because we're not parents of these people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not my wife's parent, and I'm not my coworker's parent. Um, how do I encourage growth in a way that's effective? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the courage to ha- just have a conversation, you know, if it's with our spouse or a friend. But, you know, you see this a lot in marriages. It's just, you know, I'm I'm not a parent to my wife either, but I am called to help her get to heaven and vice versa. And there's been times where we've had to have conversations with you. Hey, look, it seems like you're really struggling right now in this area or with this. What do you need from me? I've noticed this, you know, how can I help? So, you know, you put it back on them to make the decision. You can't make it for them, but you're also letting them know that you see it and that you're there to kind of help them. You know, with your kids, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, I've noticed this. You've kind of been acting this way or behaving. What else is going on? How can I help you for you to make your own decision to grow? I can't make you grow. And so I think honestly is praying for the grace to have some of those tough decisions, conversations in love with those folks. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. Question number four. So Jesus put a a little kid in the apostles midst to teach him a lesson, right? Mm -hmm. Has Jesus used a little kid to teach you a lesson? Yeah. The little kid in me, you know, (laughs) I do think like we have a late in life kid and you know, she just brings a lot of joy you know, one of the things that I pray about a lot in my life, just being, you know, busy and my mind's always going is like just to stop and experience joy. Little kids just don't think, they're not thinking about life. 
decisions. They don't really care. They don't even know to care. They're just living in the moment. And I think that's something that I certainly have to get better at. And our littlest one reminds me of that every day. Nice. Jesus gave you a little kid. How about that? (laughs) All right. Question number five. Um, A lot of us really suffer from big shot syndrome. And, you know, it it can be habitual. We call this pride, right? (laughs) Like just where we just love ourselves so much and we think everyone else should think we're awesome too. And we just just feed off of this. Um, what are some ways you found effective to kind of fight big shot syndrome over time and, and get out of that habit of, of thinking ourselves greater than we are? Well, you know, one of the saints said one of the most dangerous prayers we can pray is the prayer of humility. So I would say pray the prayer of humility. Secondly is like, go serve the poor. Just realize like how poor you are or I am, you know, spiritually, physically, like we have, we have nothing without God, right? Or other people. And so, you know, pray the prayer of humility because God will bring it in a, in a good way to help you grow. So, uh, yeah. The prayer of humility. Mm. 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 All right, question number six. Um, top do and don't for dealing with your adult child that just won't grow up. Top do, top don't. You have an adult child, seems like they're struggling growing up. Top do, top don't. Well, don't just let them continue their behavior and just continue to live at your house and have no plan, right? It's like, I don't know when they're moving out. It's like, no, come up with a plan. So the top don't is to just continue the status quo. The top do is to come up with a plan. Sit down with your adult child and say, okay, here's the plan. You know, you're going to move out by this time. What do you need? Like, what what's the plan here? You know, you're an adult now. You have a job. You You know, it's like... It's time for you to, 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 to go. It's okay. Like, you know, it's like, but come up with a plan, sit down with them as an adult, talking to an adult and execute the plan, you know, and out of love, it's like, Hey, this is, this is good. Like it's time, you know? And, um, yeah, like, and then, you know, if they have certain things that they just need help with executing fine. But at sometimes you have, no, you got to do this. You got to figure it out. You, you find out about an apartment you can't just like do everything for them that's the problem but yeah yeah nice make some decisions you know come up with a plan and and make it happen i mean i think that's really important if not like the the human nature is like yeah i'll just stay on this couch forever like they're not telling me to leave they're paying my bills like what (laughs) you you can pay my bills pay my automobiles right that's beautiful Anyway, great show. Thanks for listening in today. Thanks for Deacon Adam Conk for being a part of the show. And thanks to KLFT Radio. We will be back next week. God bless.